This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC. I have the pleasure of having our first and stellar executive recruiter to give us a little background on how to build better teams. Pete Leibman, coming straight from Arlington, Virginia. Welcome to Halo Talks. Hey, Pete, great to be here. Great. Why don't you give us your quick background and start out anytime you're from, uh, anytime I get somebody from Strong Island, I like to plug it. <laughs> So, uh, so far away from, from Long Island to your, uh, through your career. Yeah, absolutely. So like you said, I grew up on Long Island, ended up playing basketball briefly in college at Johns Hopkins. I was not going to make it to the NBA as a player. So I figured the next best thing would be to work in pro sports. Uh, ended up networking into a job with the Washington Wizards, worked in corporate and group sales for them for uh, five years. Had a great run, really just didn't see it as a long-term career for me and ultimately got uh, connected with Hydric and Struggles, a top global executive recruiting firm, uh, worked for them in the consumer and technology practices. And I've always been really passionate about fitness and healthy living and high performance and uh, wrote a book called Work Stronger, which is all about the connection between stronger, healthier habits and how they lead to higher performance at work. And then more recently, uh, launched a boutique executive search firm called Stronger Talent where the purpose is to recruit exceptional leaders for companies that are making the world stronger and healthier, you know, fitness tech companies, uh, health and fitness franchises, healthy nutrition companies, and so on. Great, great. So, you know, back um, 20, 30 years ago, you know, executive recruiting, you know, had, had a name, a headhunter yep. name. So I went back and looked at, you know, what, you know, where the derivation of the word headhunter came from. It's, it's not a, it's not a very noble uh, past, so we don't need to bring that up. Mostly from like Indians and taking trophies and things of that nature, and you know, cutting off the head of your competitor by by getting the best talent that they have. Um, so things have definitely gotten more PC and mainstream. And you know, we're we're recruiting top executives. So maybe talk for a minute just about what you've seen from your experience, as we say, experience what you get when you when you don't get what you want when somebody's mm-hmm. you know puts out an ad on. Uh, you know, indeed or something to try and find, you know, a CEO or CFO and you kind of might get what you pay for. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, look, it's, uh, it's certainly an interesting line of work, as you mentioned. And I think, look, that's certainly one path. I mean, companies can post jobs online, but generally that's not going to attract the best people. You know, I spoke with a CEO of a tech company last year and he was looking for a head of marketing. So he posted a job on LinkedIn. He gets over a hundred applications within 48 hours. He's all pumped until he actually goes through the candidates and finds that literally not even one person meets the qualifications he's looking for. So, and I think one of the benefits potentially of, of using a third party firm is, you know, you're going to attract better people. You're going to be able to attract, you know, higher quality candidates and you really can't put a price tag on having, you know, rock stars in every position in your company. So when you look at executive recruiting, it's not necessarily people that are available for a job, but, you know, maybe talk a little bit about, you know, the ability to use an outside firm is I can't call my competitor and start talking Absolutely. to their CFO. If I want to maintain any kind of, you know, realistic lines of or rules of engagement. Yeah, you're spot on. I mean, that's one of the benefits of using a, a third party firm is you've got some cover in terms of being able to go into your competitors. Like you said, you really can't be calling, you know, aggressively into your competitors. You want to maintain any type of connection there. So the benefit of a third-party firm, I mean, a lot of times I'm calling into competitors. I'm not even telling them who the, the client is initially. I'm just engaging people in an introductory conversation, just getting them in, into some sort of dialogue, 
you know, finding out where they are in their career, what might appeal to them in terms of what they want to do next. And it's a, it's a much easier way to start a conversation with people because the, the best candidates in general are usually not looking for a new role. Now, COVID has changed that. You know, you do have a lot of great people who are on the sidelines through no fault of their own, just because of what's happened with their business. But in general, top people are usually not going to be applying to jobs online. And it's, it's hard to get through to them if you're going through an internal source. Yeah. So when you take a look at private equity, getting into the space, you know, we typically, you know, from an investment banking standpoint, we'll send them a a one pager on the company. They'll ask some questions on the financials. And I'd say within the first five minutes, it's the question always is, well, how's the team? You know, how do you rate the team? How deep is the team? So in your experience, whether it's private equity owned businesses or, you know, entrepreneurial run businesses, how do you think about the org chart and kind of putting the, the pieces of a puzzle together? Because a lot of people say, well, I'll take a B product and an A team over a A product and a B team. And I really do believe that that is the differentiator. I think that's a great point. I think the team that you're putting somebody into is a huge factor. And it was interesting. I was speak, I have a, a colleague who's a head of executive recruiting at a Fortune 100 company, and I was helping him with a, a CFO role. And I was asking him about, you know, who this person is going to report to and who the peers are and who the people underneath them are. And he was like, why does that matter? And I'm thinking to myself, why does that matter? That's critical. You know, if you were going to hire an offensive coordinator for, your, for an NFL franchise, wouldn't you want to know who the head coach was, who the DC was, who the wide receivers coach was, who the linebacker coach was? You know, so you could think about how's this person going to fit with them? You know, are there certain biases? Maybe you need some diversity in terms of the thinking. So absolutely. I mean, the team around the person is a big part of it. And you can't just plug somebody in in a vacuum. You've got to think about how they're going to fit into the bigger picture. So when you think about the way you're typically working with who at the company, who, who's engaging yeah. you to, to do a search? So it's either, like you said, a, a PE firm is bringing me in. Typically, PE is getting involved when they want to hire a board member, you know, CEO, CFO, <laughs> maybe head of sales. They're usually not getting involved in, in too many positions below that. Uh, but typically, when a company is bringing me in, it's usually a CEO or a CHRO, or if it's a bigger company, it could be a division unit president for somebody on their team. So when when you're working with private equity, they're like, okay, get get us, you know, the the best talent you can find at those levels. When you're working with a corporation, yep. whether it's at Hydric and Strugglers or whether it's currently, are you typically working with the CEO, CFO, COO? head of HR, just so people understand like who should be, everybody should be responsible for the hire in, yep. in a sense and have ownership of it. Um, but what, what's typically the channel that you interact into? It depends on the company. I mean, in an ideal world, the entire hiring team would be involved in the entire process. You know, in practice, that's not always the case. What I think is most important is when you kick it off, you've got to get the entire hiring team on the same page. So maybe they're doing some conversations internally and or with their third party firm. But the number one mistake companies make is, is just a lack of clarity and alignment. You know, if everybody's not looking for the same thing or they don't know what they're looking for, you're going to run into problems, you know, down the road. So yeah, in an ideal world, you'd have the whole hiring team, you know, involved in the process, but you know, there are times where, you know, maybe the CEO's, you know, the, the hiring manager, but you're kind of dealing with HR on a more uh, frequent basis. So it just kind of depends on the situation. Got it. So given that you're a professional, well, you're playing, you know, college sports, yeah. we got an investment in this company called the Athlete Book. And, you know, for, given your background, 
one of the things that we're trying to do is make sure that more athletes in college have access to get into the halo sector. It's almost a natural evolution if they're not going to get into the, the yeah. pros or, 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 or travel. So given your affinity to that personally, has that kind of motivated you to look for kids that are, have, you know, a captain of a D one team or I've been playing in team sports. How does that affect your lens? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, to be clear, most of the people I'm, I'm recruiting are much further along in their careers, but I think there's, you know, a, a tremendous correlation between people who have been athletes and having success in, in career. You know, you don't have to be an athlete to be a great executive, but you certainly learn a lot of uh, things, a lot of life lessons as an athlete that absolutely translate to the, to the real world and work. So I think it's always an interesting point when you are speaking with an executive, when they have an athletic background, you know, or people who are engaged in, in healthy living. I mean, I personally am not going to screen somebody out if, if they're not the healthiest individual, but it's a nice bonus when somebody recognizes that your habits outside of work are absolutely going to impact the way you're going to feel and perform at work. Yeah. So when you think about, I mean, some of my best days were when I was playing team sports, yeah. you know, and, and you think about teams now in the way a professional team, you know, take the, 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 the wizards and since you used to work there, yep. you know, they've got a conditioning coach. I'm sure they've got like a mind, you know, meditation coach. They've got a head of player personnel. They've got a general manager. You look at a football team, you've got, you know, running backs coach, a quarterbacks coach. Yeah. Why do you think corporate America hasn't adopted almost like that exact, exact, you know, hierarchy? And instead of saying, "Hey, you're head of sales," you know, maybe you're actually like the sales coach because mm-hmm. you're actually not the head of it. You like you're the coach, and you got all these players that you're hiring to put on the field. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued if somebody can actually go and execute and say like. Hey, it's who's your head of sales? Well, not he's actually my offensive coordinator. You yeah. know, who's like head of HR? Well, that's like my head of player personnel. Like, I, yeah. I, w- I love if somebody would, would do that, just test it out. That's an interesting idea. I mean, I think there, there are a lot of companies that are, you know, thinking, you know, recognizing, let me say that there is a connection between, you know, healthier habits and higher performance at work. I mean, maybe we'll talk about that's part of what my book was about, but you know, I think more and more executives are getting this connection. You are seeing, uh, I know you don't like the word, but you are seeing kind of this chief well-being officer is kind of popping up. Um, you know, so people who are thinking about, and when, and they're using the word well-being probably in the wrong way, they're not thinking of it just, you know, as, as I know you don't like just not being sick. It's about, I I, I just, I I just don't like the word. I just don't like the word uh, wellness. You can use well-being. I'm fine with it. So so continue on. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I did mean to interrupt you, but respectfully, you can say. I understand. No, I'm the same way. I mean, I don't like I don't like the word either. I mean, I think, um, but I think a lot of companies are recognizing the importance of kind of like you're saying, you know, coaching their executives not just on being an executive, but you know, helping them develop this resilience to kind of deal with the challenges that they're going to face in their position. So when, when you take a look at um, interviewing people today yep. versus, you know, when, when I was going through and used to have these canned answers of, um, you know, what are your strengths? And, you know, you give your strengths and what are your weaknesses? Oh, I multitask too much. Like I take on too much work and I, you know, I can't say no. You know, have you seen a paradigm shift in people not having a canned response and maybe being a little more, or authentic or transparent 
about, I feel like there's this new wave of transparency and it could be good in an interview process or it could be like disastrous. Yeah. I mean, I think it's an interesting point. I mean, I think executives are, we're living in an age where people are more comfortable being a little bit more vulnerable than maybe they were in the past in terms of talking about, you know, areas they're not as, as strong in. Um, but yeah, I think there's a point where you have to be kind of diplomatic in what you share, right? I mean, right. You know, that's a, that's a tough question to answer. If somebody's giving you a, a weakness, that's going to be a key function of their position. It's like, Oh, wow. Okay. Maybe this person's not actually such a great fit after all. Right. Right. Fair point. Um, so let's talk about the book. So, yeah. you know, habits for more energy, less stress and, and higher performance at work. You know, what are some of the, the, the takeaways that, that you've had personally mm. and then how did that kind of layer into to the book versus, you know, you observing how people were, but, but was there a, a personal element to that yeah. as well? Yeah, I guess in terms of kind of what inspired me to write the book, I mean, I've always found in my own life that there's a huge connection between stronger, healthier habits, and it's going to make you more resilient and more focused and more productive in your job. So I've always been a believer in that. It was really interesting as part of the research for the book. You know, I went out and and did a ton of research, but then I also interviewed over 40 CEOs and prominent leaders and, you know, men and women of all different backgrounds to kind of figure out, you know, these are people who all kind of buy into this concept, right? That, you know, it's not about how long you work. It's about what you do with the time. It's about how strong you work. And it was interesting to kind of, to kind of understand their habits and, and what they're doing before work. What do they do through, during the day? You know, what do their weekends look like? And it was interesting to hear a lot of common themes, but there were different applications. So, you know, it wasn't like everybody was doing the exact same thing, but maybe the common theme was, was people recognize the importance of the area. And I could, you know, talk about some specific examples, but yeah, please do. Yeah. So, I mean, it was interesting. I mean, in terms of, you know, one of the things that I, that I talk about is work, this concept of like working like an athlete, which is, which is really a mindset. I mean, I think a lot of executives would benefit from thinking of themselves like athletes and kind of taking lessons away from the way that athletes approach their careers you know, one practical example I'll give you, you know, I, I worked in the NBA for the Wizards and one of my favorite parts of that job was watching the, the players warm up before the game. And every elite athlete, and this is not just basketball players, any athlete has a deliberate pregame ritual to get into their peak physical, mental and emotional state before the game begins. You know, they don't just show up and just jump on the court. You know, and a great example of this right now is Steph Curry, you know, one of the best players in the world. He's not a physically imposing guy, but he's, you know, a, a world champion, two-time MVP. And one of his secrets to success is his pregame ritual. You know, fans will actually get to the arena one to two minutes before the game just to watch him warm up because of the focus he's bringing to it. And the, the question I would have to anybody listening to this is, you know, look, if you work in a corporate job, you have 250 game days a year. You know, what is your pregame ritual every day? What do you do in between the time when you get up and when you get to work? And obviously that's, you know, it's changed for people because of COVID and, and that could be an opportunity or a challenge. But it was interesting as part of the, the book, you know, asking people, you know, hey, what do you do between when you wake up and when you get to work? And, you know, I talked to some people, uh, a number of executives who it was all about a high intensity exercise session to get the endorphins rolling and, and really just attack the morning. But then I also talked to some people where it was much more about meditation and mindfulness. You know, one of the people I interviewed was Scott O'Neill, who's CEO of the New Jersey Devils and Philadelphia 76ers. And for Scott, he's like, look, you know, for me, I just want to be quiet. 
to start the day. You know, I want to invest time, you know, to kind of ground myself. So the theme was the same, right? All these people are deliberate with the way they start the day because it sets the tone. But the way that they approached it was vastly different. And that was interesting to hear just throughout the book, you know, same kind of themes, but different actual application. Yeah, the one thing that strikes me, and I was actually joking around with an executive, that one of the things I loved about team sports back in the day was practice. Yeah. You know, like you've got, you basically in high school, you know, you're practicing probably 50% of the time and games are 50% of the time. And in other sports, you're probably practicing you know, 80% of the time and playing 20% of the time. And then you go into business and you're practicing 0% of the time and you're yep. playing 100% of the time. And you forgot that the reason why you became good at something was because you honed those fundamentals yep. and you, you actually invested in a team. So we were joking around like Monday should be, you know, practice day. And then, you know, Thursday through Friday, we, we actually work. I don't think anyone will ever take me up on that from a productivity <laughs> standpoint. But I think it would be a really interesting exercise if you know you were able to think about business as as just an, an evolution of of a game that you play with other people and, and how that works. Because I know that we get caught in, in our job to be vulnerable, is you know, we do a 30-minute you know call every Monday or every other Monday to update people on the team, but we don't really create as much of a team environment. Mm-hmm. Maybe part of that is because of the type of work that we do, which is all project based, yep. but there's still a way to, to, to teamize it better than, than it has been. If that's, that's probably not a word, but I'm from Long Island. You are too. You knew exactly what I meant. <laughs> I got so it. Just leave it there. Just leave it yeah. out there. I got it. So, so how do you think about one of the things I wrote down that I want to talk to you about is you make a lot of calls during the yep. day and you're reaching out to a lot of people. And I'm assuming that your hit rate on people that want to engage with you has got to be, you know, you know, the percentages are not 50% of the people are looking to move their job. So when you look at your, you know, hourly kind of win loss ratio of like Mm -hmm. how many, you know, I might, I might've had only one good call today, but Mm -hmm. that was a really good call. And I might've had, you know, 49, you know, foul balls. So how do you, how do you like kind of calibrate in your brain? And I'm trying to do this now myself and say, if every day I go three and one, I can't focus on the loss. I have to like enjoy some of the wins and not let the the one loss kind of affect it. So how do you, as a, you know, start up your own business and being in that position, you know, kind of think about that. Yeah. I mean, I think it goes back. I mean, I started my career in sales and recruiting is ultimately a sales job is I never really worry about my batting average, right? It's more about hitting home runs versus batting, you know, 400 to give you that example. So, um, but I would say, you know, I think that there are a lot of different ways, you know, my hit rate is actually pretty high. I can usually get at least 50, 60% of people on the phone. And part of the reason why I'm doing that is when I contact executives, I'm never pitching uh, a job right out of the gate. I'm inviting them to have a conversation to, to kind of network with them. And I'm also not telling them who the role's with because I want to build intrigue. So they're curious and they have to have a conversation with me to hear about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there are a number of tricks that you can use. And that again, maybe is one of the benefits of using a recruiter is if somebody's calling from a company, you know who the opportunity is with. Whereas if I'm calling, you don't know who it's with. So there's that, that intrigue factor that is, you can't underestimate. But I think, yeah, it's inviting people into a networking discussion, right? I mean, I'm, a, I'm of the mindset, you know, why would I not want to connect with other good people in my space? And I think a lot of executives 
you know, feel the same way. So, um, yeah, there, I think there are some tricks in terms of getting, you know, people on the phone and then to go back to your question. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't take it personally. If somebody doesn't want to have a conversation, I mean, I'm going to try to hit them multiple times, you know, different channels to get through to them, but yeah, you're not going to get through to everybody. And that's just part of the business. So when you think about building teams, you know, how, and, and you kind of touched on this before, yep. but ensuring that it's not just uh, a home run hitter that I'm bringing in, you know, I've died speaking for you here, but you know, mm-hmm. diagnose a team and a culture and say, Hey, that's going to be a fit or that I just, my pulse on that is just that, you know, this isn't going to work out. So mm-hmm. how do you, you know, how do you try to like quantify that to an extent? Obviously a lot of your job, I would assume is just reinforcing your gut and that gut kind of becomes a, a pretty good barometer on how you recommend people. I don't know if that's a question. I think it was. Yeah, no, I mean, I think in terms of kind of thinking of kind of the intangibles, right? I mean, I think, uh, I mean, part of my discussion with any candidate that I speak with is kind of what they consider to be their ideal work environment. You know, I think another good question I always like to ask people is, you know, I kind of set this up and say, look, as part of any process, we're going to, if it moves further along, we're going to reference you with former supervisors and colleagues how will those people describe you? And, and kind of, you know, asking it that way, as opposed to how would you describe yourself? I think you get a more honest answer. Um, so I think that's part of it, you know, engaging people in this discussion, getting them to kind of talk it through, also talking to the client in terms of how do you describe your culture? What is the type of person you're looking for? I mean, you have to talk about these intangibles because as you mentioned, it's such a big part of the job. Mm-hmm. You know, the thing that, that some clients are interested in and, and some maybe not as much, but you can also incorporate... Uh, personality assessments, you know, to bring some science to it. So it's not just an opinion. So I'm certified in this tool called the Hogan assessment, where uh, executives take it and it basically analyzes how they operate when they're at their best, how they operate when they're not at their best. And that can be a pretty interesting uh, uh, way to, uh, and, you know, we share the results with them so we can talk about like, Hey, this is what this test says. What do you think about this? And, And somebody say, yeah, you know, that's actually true. Whereas maybe they wouldn't have volunteered that information. So bringing in some of these, uh, you know, scientifically validated tools, I think can add some additional context, you know, beyond just talking about it, you know, with the person. So from a standpoint of, of, um, what someone would pay to have a search done properly versus, you know, talk about the organization and the results that you get versus I'm a recruiter and, uh, you know, I put up an ad on LinkedIn and I spend the rest of my day trying to figure out what, you know, where this barrage of resumes just came from. Yeah. So you're asking kind of how does the the pricing structure work? Just just the the, the return on investment. You know, I think a lot of people in the health club industry and the halo sector in general like to get, like to try and solicit talent out of referrals of people they know or people in the industry or people that are moving around, but there's probably a much larger pool as we go forward when I think after COVID, mm-hmm. you know, health clubs and fitness companies are going to have to kind of redefine yeah. how they interact. And, and it might be someone from a direct to consumer or a video content channel mm-hmm. that might be a more relevant hire than someone who was, you know, head of sales at a health club chain. Well, that might not be the skill set that we want because we want someone to look at this business different. So, so to, 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 to find those type of people and yeah. to convince them 
what the opportunity is versus them doing it on their own, which yeah. most people don't have time. So I guess I just want to have you talk for a couple minutes about what's the benefit and the results that you get and why, and why that's worth it. Yeah. I mean, I think you can look at it a couple ways. I mean, first of all, you could look at it as the, you know, how, how expensive and painful is it going to be if you've got the wrong person in a position? And, you know, there are various studies that have tried to quantify, you know, how expensive the wrong hire. I mean, I saw one study where they were claiming, I don't know if I necessarily believe this, that a bad hire can cost an organization 15 times the person's salary. Um, and this is by a very reputable firm, but you think, you know, even if that's not true, even if it's three to five times its salary and you're paying somebody a few hundred thousand dollars a year, I mean, you're losing over a million bucks for every bad hire. So these are huge decisions. You know, these are not decisions that you want to take lightly or, you know, have any, have any risk with. So I think there's, there's value in having that third party perspective. You know, having said that, Pete, look, I don't think every single, you know, executive hire has to go to a third party search firm. Like companies should absolutely look internally and maybe there's somebody who could step up into a role. Maybe, you know, people through your network, like, yeah, you should absolutely, you know, you know, look at channels on your own, but there are benefits to infusing additional talent. So you're not just limited to the, this pool that you're swimming in. You know, maybe you want to infuse, as you said, some additional perspectives or like you said, I think there's going to be a lot of interesting shift in the halo sector in terms of, you know, people moving maybe more toward, you know, more tech enabled businesses or wanting to bring people in from tech enabled businesses to be more digital in the future. So it's going to be interesting over the next couple of years to see the shift. And for a lot of companies, I think they're going to have to look outside of the usual network because they might not know these people in these other kind of tech related types of companies. Got it. Got it. So what are some of the uh, quotes that, uh, that, that you've lived by or that you find, uh, you know, guides you on a daily basis? Favorite quotes. Um, so I'll give you one quote that I, that I think you'll like given the, uh, the halo focus. It's you can't hire someone else to do your pushups for you. Well, I like that. I like um, that. It was by, um, a motivational speaker named, named Jim Rohn and, I think it just speaks to the fact that, you know, there's some things in life you just can't delegate or outsource. You got to do yourself. You got to. Right. Right. So, uh, so in closing here, why don't you, uh, you know, tell people where they can get the book work stronger right. and how to reach you directly. And hopefully we can meet in person. Um, yeah, absolutely. Once I get a better mask, I'm thinking about getting like a superhero mask, like a <laughs> justice league, like all the different ones that just come out every day. Yeah, it looks good. Um, right. Yeah, I appreciate that. And people can, uh, they can check out the book at, at workstronger.com or it's on Amazon or any other outlet. And then, uh, you know, my company is strongertalent.com. Awesome. All right, man. Great to meet you. I'm glad we connected. Let's, uh, let's compare notes and do some business together and make sure we get the best people in that halo sector. There we go. Thanks for having me. Awesome. All right, man. Have a great day. You too. Good talking. Too. Later. Give a shout out to my good friends at lassogear.com, L-A-S-S-O-G-E-A-R.com. I want to give you 20% off using the code Halo Talks on the best compression socks on the planet. I've been using them during the pandemic. My field goal kicking is further and stronger than it's ever been. Check out these socks. You'll love them. They got an L and an R to make it easy to put on each foot. Enjoy it. Trust me, you'll love them.